Welcome back to the Surfacing Leaders Podcast, where you can come along with nuclear submarine officer, sought-after turnaround CEO and founder of Lead with Purpose, Mark Kohler, as he tells the stories of leaders in unlikely places and the human spirit that drives us all to show us that anyone can learn to be a leader. And now, here's Mark Kohler. Anya Kohler is the founder of Captain's University, a company aimed to empower women leaders. As a former Division I captain for UC Berkeley and the University of Portland women's soccer teams, Anya experienced the critical nature of having the tools necessary to effectively lead her team. Through this experience, Captain's University was founded to empower women leaders to help them gain clarity on themselves, communicate when it's most crucial, and feel confident stepping into the leadership roles during sport and beyond. Anya holds a BA in interdisciplinary studies with a focus on how artificial intelligence impacts the workforce from UC Berkeley and an MBA from the University of Portland. Anya, welcome to the Surfacing Leaders Podcast. Thanks, Mark. Very excited to be here. So let's start off about where you're from, where you were born, and then growing up, and, and then we'll come to where we are today. Yeah, sure. So I was born in San Diego, California. And when I was about three or four years old, we moved to Oceanside. And Oceanside is one of those places where it's a small beach town next to the Marine Base and Camp Pendleton. And I think it was a a great place for me to grow up. I After school or before school, me and friends would go to the beach. Uh, It was always a really great experience. But growing up, there were so many things that I was interested in, and I was always interested in trying new things. Tell us about a lot of those different things that you were trying when you were you were young. Yeah, so I, I think when I was in middle school, it was all about hip-hop classes, and I was a swimmer, and I played soccer, and there's all these different sports that I was interested in. I was just always out getting my knees scraped up, riding bikes, <laughs> and always being the tough one where scraped knees didn't matter <laughs> type of thing. So I, I was always doing something, whether, you know, I just listed a, a myriad of them, but a lot of different interests when I was growing up. So started playing soccer when I was about four years old at the YMCA. I think One of my favorite and probably one of my family's favorite pictures, because I used it in my senior day photo at Cal, is a little picture of me holding a medal when I was so small. But I was always very rambunctious and needed to run and go out and do things. And so getting into soccer was something that I just really loved. And ultimately, I really fell in love with just wanting to touch the ball and do all the things that came along with being a great soccer player. And so I would starting to get into some of the the work that I did. You know, I I would wake up at 6 a.m. before going to high school and hit the ball against the wall in the morning on this little wood structure thing that we had in our garage. And I'd just be hitting the ball around a cone, doing all these little different touches So you're at Oceanside Breakers, and what happens, and what's your next step? 
I think there became a point where my dream was to be a professional soccer player, play on the U.S. Women's National Team. I had very high goals and aspirations, and they had seen something in me that I would, had some type of natural talent with it, but I also was gritty and, and worked hard. And I, I was very, very young. So we were trying to time it. When was the best time to make the leap to go on to that more elite level of team? And I think when I was in seventh grade or so, I, I went and tried out for San Diego Surf, which is one of the best, if not the best soccer club in Southern California. So I went down to surf and it was how was that transition it was so hard so hard the level of play was so fast i lost the ball <laughs> all the time i was surprised they took me for the team but they really took a chance on me and it was really hard and especially going into a place where you live 45 minutes from the location that you're training at talk to me about coach jose and his approach with you great guy i had five or six different coaches at surf throughout all the years that I played there. So it was, you know, getting used to each one of their different leadership styles, what they wanted in an impactful player for the team. And for Jose, I think it was always someone that worked really hard. And for him developing me, there were, there were times where I wouldn't play games and I'd have to be okay with that. But it, it was because my my skill set wasn't maybe needed in the game or I wasn't ready for it. I think a lot of the things that he did de developmental wise was always prompting. One of the big things there he'd always say, and you heard maybe Frank say it in the podcast, but he'd always prompt skills, 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 giving us these little tidbits of this is something you should try in a game and really focusing on us at a development level. So you went there when you were 12. Talk to us about the first four years until you're 16. Tell us what's happening in the game with you. Yeah. So just to kind of lay the foundation for everyone, I know I've been saying great club in California, but this is a club where, you know, every person's dream goal is to play in college, the national team, be a professional soccer player at that point in their lives. And so Every player is, you know, looking for where am I going to be playing? And a lot of players do end up going to play Division One soccer. And so it, it was a lot of pressure, right? Being on the, the pitch and then on the sideline, you have 60 college coaches from all the big, all the, all the big names, Cal, Stanford, USC, Penn State, Wake Forest, Florida State, Pitt. I'm missing some right now, but all in my mind, all the really big schools that you could ever have. So I think when I first got down there, it was a big shock. The level of play was so much higher than I had imagined. It's a really tough, competitive environment, and everyone's fighting for their spot on the team and on the field. If there's someone better than you, they're going to play. As I continued to play, I would get in, would get some minutes, would do well, come out and get a couple starts, do well, come out. And then we had a, I was starting to, to play a lot more and it, it was really great. We had a coaching change and I kind of fell into a little bit of a slump. And, you know, I'm, I'm more of a midfield player and because I'm, I'm 5'11", so I'm very tall. The coach had wanted to try me as a center forward, which, you know, makes sense. Big post up, be that that center nine up there. 
But that wasn't really my position. And I felt so awkward. And, you know, I wasn't getting playing time anymore because Keith felt that somebody else was playing the midfield role better than I was, which great at the time. And I was kind of crushed. I didn't really know what to do. I, I, it came to a point where I actually got demoted to the second team. And that was heartbreaking for me because you always, you want to be on the first team. The visibility's there. What was your mindset during this time? Because this turns, this turns into mindset. Yeah, definitely. So I think at first I was crushed. And then the mentality beyond that was, hey, I, I'm here for a reason. I'm going to have fun playing on this second team for, and it wasn't like, I was demoted forever from the first team, but you know they they took that step to say, "Hey, you're not good enough to play on the first team during this tournament." And so I was like, "I'm going to I'm going to do everything I can to show myself still and and make the best of what I'm going to be playing with and the people that I'm going to be playing with." And so it it ended up being, you know, a really fun tournament. The coach of that team just happened to be a guy named Chris LeMay. So he and he was also coaching at at Cal at that point. And I just played my butt off. I did everything that I I could. It was really fun. I, you know, was really relaxed and loose and just played my game. I got to play the place that I was comfortable into in the midfield. And there were so many other great players around me that were able to help me shine too in that moment that he when it when it came time to it, we started we started talking. And when is Cal? I think you were named the MVP of that team. Yeah. And on that team were some players who now play professionally in Europe for Chelsea and some of the biggest clubs. I mean Katarina Mark Macario. Yeah, Yeah. Macario and and I forgot the other woman's name who just went over there, plays for the national team. And also played for surf. So yeah. So it was fantastic. So what happens? You're the you're basically the MVP of that team. What happens during that next week after the tournament? Yeah, I go I go back up to the first team. So, so what happens a year later at Surf Cup? Yeah. So then a year later again at, at Surf Cup, I think Chris LeMay may have been interested in in me from when I played in played uh, on the second team with him and all those other great players before and we were playing and I was approached or I don't know if approached is the right lingo or, or terms or what whatnot, but I started to get offers and one of the first ones was from the University of Arkansas. And school that's really great school, great business school. And it's in Arkansas was my only offer and I I loved that it was there. So, you know, I talked with the coaches. They ultimately ended up offering me a full ride. And I was I was so stoked <laughs> uh, about that. And and then kind of from there, it, it just started trickling in. All these other schools were interested. I remember scoring a goal, a header. Remember, I'm tall, so heading was one of my strengths. And I remember scoring like pretty great header goal in Surf Cup. And I, I think the Wake Forest coach comes up to Mark and gives him his card and says, I'm, I'm interested, that type of thing. The, um, the, the, the approach, just so people know, is the coach couldn't contact the, the player directly. They could either contact the coach or they could reach out to the parent. And so I know, it's, I know it was really hard. Yeah. I remember after a game, everyone else's parents are being approached or the coach is being approached. Hey, UCLA is looking at your daughter and 
And I remember us leaving the field and and so times had turned and, and changed. Yeah, definitely. A lot of other schools became interested and I one of them was was Cal. And I was like internally so excited that a school on the West Coast, because a lot of the the interest I was getting was from East Coast, SEC those those types of school and I was like oh, I'm kind of a California girl and I want to stay on the west coast but I haven't had too many offers in that area yet and so getting some interest from Cal I remember saying to both of my parents like if if they if that's like a real deal that's where I want to go like that's where I would want to go and that was before even knowing a whole a whole lot about it just knowing they were a great soccer team and part of the Pac-12 and later on learning the amazing academics that they have there and the institution and everything that that's around and surrounding the excellence that you need to be at to be at Cal was another great step. Talk to us about some of the players who played at Cal. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest one or the biggest name is Alex Morgan, star forward for the US women's national team, played at played at Cal. You know, a lot of other very change maker people in the game played at Cal. Yeah, there, there's so many. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a it's a it's a place where you go if you want to be able to make that next step. All right, so you get your packet the summer before you're going to go up to Cal and going to do training camp and everything. Take us through your experience at Cal. Yeah, getting ready to go to Cal. I think I had I'd known about six months before I'd gotten up there that I was I was injured and I was working through through that. And so for me, like, you know, I didn't play the senior year of my high school season. I had a small tear in my groin muscle or ligament or mm-hmm. I don't know what the, the correct term is, but a small tear in my groin. And it was something that kind of haunted me to today. <laughs> so it, it was uh, pretty difficult. You know, I went into Cal being a player that I knew I wasn't going to play at all because me, me and my athletic trainer, Lauren Forsyth, had determined that this I, I needed to rehab out of this and really build up a lot of strength. So the plan was for me to be a, be a player that I went to the training room a lot. I was I was injured. So, you know, all the things that come with being injured, you're going to the training room an extra two hours a day after practice because during practice, you need to like watch and take everything in and be really present with what the tactics are and what's going on in the training. At one point, we'd been going through a lot of this and they said, you know, you might not be able to play soccer right there my freshman year anymore. How did that feel? Yeah, it was crushing. You know, I'd gotten up at 6 a.m. every morning in high school, done all the right things to put myself into this position to be a professional soccer player, get a great education at college and and go through it. And they just said, this might be it for you. And I was really thankful that I had the trainer that I had, Lauren, because she looked in and started doing other research. You know, what else is out there that we can do to help this not be not be right now, not be something that's happening right now. Like how how can we prolong this a little bit so that you do have the opportunity to to play? And so 
I was running in an underwater treadmill that they had at Cal to rehab. I was doing all these exercises with balls and bands and, you know, everything that you <laughs> need to do to, 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 um, you know, strengthen yourself to get better. And so she pretty much put me on like a nine month strength program. It, it was hard going my freshman year. I I had a great support system at, at home, so that helped. And I had a lot of great friends that were on the team. I had a couple of injured buddies <laughs> that were there with me. But yeah, it, it was hard. So you get through that first year, you redshirt. And for for people, you get to play how many years? You get to play four years and you have to do it within like six. So they it's a, yeah, like an so injured share with yeah, your your NCAA clock is four. You get four el- years of eligibility in you get four seasons within five years. And, you know, sometimes the rules bend a little bit for if you come in and take a redshirt your freshman year and you're just not eligible to play. That's one type of redshirt. There's another type that's an injury redshirt. Okay, so you leave surf at the top of your game, get to Cal, have this setback, work through the first year. Come back in your next year, which is really your first playing year. Take us through what that year looked like. Yeah. You know, another huge jump in speed of play. I remember being so happy my last week of spring season of my freshman year when I was hurt because that was the first time I was able to play with the team is literally the the last week of our off season. And I was like, all right, it's time to get ready. It's time to go. You know, I thought that I I did everything that I could, but I don't think I was (laughs) prepared enough. And, you know, you just don't know what you don't know until you're in that moment. And it was a huge pickup of speed of play. Every single player was good on the team. Everybody could do pretty much the same things that you could do. How were you going to stand out? And so for me, I was still doing well and doing well in training and I was, I felt confident and I got a, a couple opportunities to get in some games and I was so excited that I got to, I got to start. Unfortunately, I, I kind of squandered the opportunity. I made a, you know, a defensive mistake in the back and we were a really good team. So the rest of that, that sophomore season was, was kind of challenging. I wasn't getting a lot of minutes beyond that. And um, it, I had some great players in front of me too that were worthy of minutes at time. Talk to us about your junior year, which is actually your second year, not your third year. Yeah. So I was a junior player or sophomore, technically redshirt junior or redshirt sophomore junior player in school. And I was, I, I knew what was coming this time. Right. I had played my sophomore year. I knew the ins and outs of what needed to be done prior. I was so felt so much more prepared going into it. I was extremely fit. And, you know, I was at the I, I was ready, ready for that opportunity. I still needed to earn the trust back from the the prior season. And I had earned minutes and, you know, would get in for 10, 20 minutes towards the end of the game where where I was needed at the time. And, you know, kind of giving others a, a rest as it will. And how do I be that impact player for those minutes that I am in? I think what the coaching staff at Cal did was that they really honed into what my strengths were. So I started to get, you know, a little bit more, a little bit more playing time. And then unfortunately, one of my teammates got hurt and she played my position. I was ready for my opportunity and I was waiting for it. When I 
finally got to the game, it was all the hard work that had led up to that, the 18 months of me being out in my senior year of high school, going into freshman year, you know, rebuilding my strength back up during the freshman year, going through and working through my sophomore year, and then finally getting to to that point where, you know, it it I started, I got, I got an opportunity. Take us through the rest of that year. Yeah. So I got that first Pac-12 start and it was a really tight game. Yeah, it was a super tight game. And we ultimately ended up winning 1-0 because I made a deep run from essentially the halfway line all the way into the box. And one of my outside, or she was a, a 10, had pulled way out to the side and was whipping in a ball. And I just felt like it was the right moment to go. I did it. And, you know, I scored my first, my first goal and my first Pac-12 start. What came out of that? Well, first it was a W. It was a 1-0 win. So big win there for our our season. But I was also voted by the coaches in the Pac-12 as offensive player of the week for that. How did it feel to be named Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week? Well, I wasn't expecting it. I just started getting texts from other people actually saying congratulations, and I didn't know what I had won. <laughs> so, or the award that was that was named to me, and I was uh, very honored that those in the Pac-12 recognized that for you know it being my first Pac-12 start, making an impact in the game, and they don't know everything else that you know, went into it and went behind it. And I'm only scratching the surface with what I've shared here. It was a, it was a tough journey, but it, it felt great. It was awesome. And so what happens at the end of that season? Yeah. So towards the end of the season, the player that, the player that had gotten injured was healthy again. And so she started getting minutes and soon, you know, I was put back down on the bench. And I was crushed again because, you know, I had been playing so well, had been an impact player. I had 90% or higher on all my stat sheets for passing and possession and whatnot. So I was doing really well, but maybe I wasn't the the key that that was needed. And one of the, and it, it was just hard. I, I had done so well. I felt like I proved myself. And what else do I need to do to, to like show that I, that I'm ready and that, that this is it. Great. Season end ends, have a loss in the in the NCAA tournament. You're right at the end of the game. Yeah, one of the the f- captains of the the team at that point, who was a senior, she played for the full Norwegian national team. Her name is I'm going to say it right but wrong. Kiro. She's going to listen to this. You better say it right. <laughs> and. Um, she comes up to me after the game and kind of unofficially hands me the captain's armband. And she said, it's going to be you next year. It was our opening spring season meeting. And I was called to the front of the room with my coach, Neil McGuire, and was standing next to him. And it's the first time, you know, I'm staring back at the 22 other players that are left on my team that aren't, are the people that are still there that aren't graduating. Did he prep you for this? No, I had no idea. So you're sitting there going, what's going on? Well, yeah, my heart was beating in my chest. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm why am I being called to the front of the room? It's the <laughs> beginning of season. Like we haven't done anything. Not that I thought that I was doing anything wrong, but like, what am I being called to the front of the room for type of thing? 
and started to talk about the qualities of a good leader. And then all of a sudden, and I still didn't know where it was going at the time. <laughs> and then uh, I heard him say the words, you know, I will be captain of the Cal women's soccer team starting today. And my teammates were celebrating me. They were so happy for me. I was shocked and honored that my team and my coach wanted me to be in that position and for them. And it, it was, I was just so honored in that moment. But there was another little inkling inside of me. And that was that I started thinking about all the different responsibilities that came with the role. What does that mean what did that really mean? And I said that my teammates were loud and encouraging and all that was fading out. It was so silent. And all I could think about is what are all my responsibilities? How am I going to handle conflict between different players? How do I run a captain's camp? All the different questions that you don't really know until you get into that role. And yeah, you're just kind of thrown into it. So that, that, was, that was my next, those were my next thoughts. So you have this tremendous emotion of joy, if this emotion of uncertainty and, and maybe fear about it. So what's your what's your approach? You become captain. What's your approach? Yeah. So I tried to emulate what I had seen from other captains before me. And one of those was to be a very vocal leader. And that was not me in the slightest bit. I am more of, I I know I am a lead by example type of individual. And so for me, I really tried to be as vocal as I could and was yelling at practice. And not that I wasn't communicating in practice before, but I just, I stepped it up a notch because that's what I thought that the role needed. I started to be a little bit more bossy sometimes because maybe I should tell, be telling other people what to do. And, you know, that wasn't really me or my authentic self through that. So I I dialed it back and was like, okay, I'm getting more of a hang of what these some of these responsibilities are and um like who am I really? And I, I remember asking myself that question, like who am I as I'm stepping into this role now? I'm figuring it out. That's not working out for me. It's coming off inauthentic to my teammates. They're like, what the heck is Anya? <laughs> is Anya yelling at me for? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Yelling. <laughs> so I started to kind of go back to who was I before I stepped into the captain role. I was the person that worked really hard. I put my head down. I grinded. I knew that for me, I was that consistent benchmark for others. And so I, I tried to start going back to adopt that more than going way out of my comfort zone and trying to meet this person that, that yelled. And, you know, like, you know, there's more roles and responsibilities and you have to grow into those and take those on. And I was fully ready and capable of doing that. It's just the style was a little bit off. How much training did you get from the, from Cal on how to become a captain? Yeah, I, I, I didn't get very, I didn't get any training. I had conversations with coaches and, but that was ultimately it. It was kind of a check-in on how the team's doing and that was it. It was a challenging year. I think at that point we had lost, lost, graduated our starting goalkeeper, both starting center backs, I believe, both starting, I was 
in and out starting that junior year, but both starting midfielders, um, key forward. So very heavily, very young team. We weren't winning a lot. I tried to be the best leader that I could be to try to gather them together and push everything forward and champion that excellence that Cal has. You know, one of our our one of our signs in the game day locker room uh, says, "If I've seen further, it's by standing on the shoulders of giants." And I wanted to be that person for for other people too, and live like champions. That's that's our our slogan or phrase. And so, how how was I helping to implement that during that season? What's the biggest thing you learned about leadership during that season? Yeah. So for me, I think the biggest thing that I learned about leadership and being a captain was that there's everything that I can do to tell people how to say and do the right things. But if the skill and the basis isn't there or they don't have the decision-making ability already within them to be able to do that, it's going to be, it's going to be a struggle. And I have to, you know, how do I coach them up to be able to help them through those times, you know, whether they're that starting player or whether they're that person on the bench or they're injured. So you get to the end of your um, senior year as it relates to academic, but because you redshirted your first year, you have another year to play soccer. What are the options that are available to you? Yeah. So I can either stay, slow my roll, try to get a degree, maybe in something that something else at Cal. It was more going to be towards, you know, take some extra classes to finish out the the last semester that would be season. Or I could try to go to find my new journey, my next step. And for me, I, I really wanted to get an MBA. And at the time, Cal's program required a certain amount of years of working experience that I didn't have for the high school business. And so I, I opened my search up again and it was it was round two. And this time I would say things flooded in immediately. I was a great school, great name. I was a captain for the school. And it, it was a really, really fun process. Went back to Arkansas for another official visit. Went l- so many Division One schools. It was crazy. And so you have all these opportunities. And what was your decision? Yeah. So I ended up at the University of Portland and with Michelle French as my coach, Frenchie, and amazing coaching staff there as well. And very similar to Cal, very storied program. And what made that even greater was they've won some national championships in the past. And what really attracted me was that they were kind of in a spot where they were looking to gain that excellence back again. And uh, Michelle French, former assistant women's national team coach, that was someone that I, I wanted to try to play for too. So it, it was very enticing to to head there next. Tell me about the first year. Okay. Yeah. So so the first year, I mean, I got there and within three weeks of of being there, we held a captain's vote and a lot of the players came up to me and told me that they were going to vote me a captain. And I was like, what? Are you crazy? Like, <laughs> I've only been here for three weeks. I barely know any of you guys. So it was a, a, a great start knowing that I had earned the trust of of some of those players in such a short period of time. And I think it helped that I had come from such a, a big program at Cal that was a very successful program, you know, but also a testament to my leadership 
abilities and qualities that I I tried to you know gain some trust with them early on. And I, at first, I wasn't uh, playing so well. You know, I was trying to really find myself with that team. And I had a conversation with with Frenchie, and she said, "Stop being so hard on yourself. Like mm. you don't need to be like the. I know this is what you were for your last team, but you don't you be you like." don't put so much pressure on yourself, just go out and play. And so after that conversation I had had with her, I just flew. I was playing well. I was excited. I was making a huge impact. I And, and people wanted to follow me too. And so I think the big thing there was I noticed that I started noticing a pattern. When I got there, I the captain just naturally kind of, because I was an older player, started asking me questions about how to be a leader for the team. And you mean the current captain of yeah, the of current Portland, the yeah. current captain of Portland started you know asking me all those questions how to how to be a good leader for the team. What should we do in this practice? You know, these two players are are having an argument. This incident happened. How would you handle it? And it reminded me a lot of being at Cal, but I was so comfortable in the role now because I had at least a year of experience, a year and a half of experience underneath my belt that I could answer all the questions that she asked me. And I felt really confident in the answers that I had in the scenarios because I had been through it a time before, two or three times before the prior season. So it ultimately, it was a fantastic season and I it, it was really fun. Take us through the rest of the season and yeah. The rest of your senior season. Rest of the uh, fifth year season was fun. I mean, we, we, new conference, so played everybody in the WCC, a lot of fun games, and scored a couple of, of or scored a, a great goal there. Another place where I was running in from halfway line and scored a header goal from the six. And yeah, it was a it was a great rest of the season, and we we wrapped up. We were so close to making it to the tournament. I think a couple things went in our favor, and and a couple if a couple of things would have went in our favor in a few games, we we would have probably been more in in the running for it. We were really close, so that was exciting. Just being in the second year of trying to help rebuild the program, that we were so close to to know making that a reality and and bringing back that excellence. Yeah, and then finished finished the the last game of the the senior game of the season, and I wasn't feeling so so hot, and I didn't really know why. I kind of had gotten hit in the head a couple of games before, and that had a quick turnaround. Felt sleepy, and I was like, "Oh, I'm just really tired from the quick turnaround from LA, flying back to Portland. We have a game in two days. We practice the next morning." night game, double overtime. So just a lot. You're, you're tired. And I had gotten hit in the head pretty hard a couple of times that game and then played another game after that. And after that, I was rocked or something. I felt like my eyes were crossing, like a lot of, a lot of different concussion symptoms. So I ended up being diagnosed with a pretty, pretty bad concussion the, the last game of my, my fifth year season. What was your vision for what were you going to do at the end of the season? Yeah, so for me, you know, I I was going to finally realize that that dream of being a professional soccer player. I was prepared to enter the NWSL draft. We were starting to line up different tryouts, had overseas opportunities, made my highlight reel, got everything ready for for draft day, and you know, still had my name in the the draft while I was concussed cuz maybe I'll get better and this will this will be I'm prepared still, but yeah, that that was the vision prior to that. So I, you know, was completing my MBA there, and next step was play professional soccer. 
What was your final semester like? A lot of sleeping in my room, in a dark room for about three months or so. Tried to, after a while, I started to try to read. That was really hard. I had a lot of issues with my eyes, so I went to occupational therapy and whatnot for that. So it was pretty hard being in a dark room a lot, very isolated. But noises, like any type of music, really like, I don't know if bugged me is the right word, but it just like really aggravated whatever was going on. And um, so I I did a lot of alone time in the dark. A lot of alone time. So you're watching the NWSL draft and take us through as you're watching the whole NWSL draft. What are your emotions as you see people getting selected? Yeah, kind of knowing that I, I'm probably not getting selected. I had talked with the Utah Royals. I know they're a team that's coming back and had a tryout with them to go potentially and said, hey, I think I need some more time because of this injury I'm up against. And they said, you know, you come or you don't. And I, I couldn't at that that point. So watching the NWSL draft was kind of crushing. It's like, oh, I, you know, I want to get picked. I want to get picked. I want to get picked. And knowing that if I got picked, like, am I going to actually be okay to play? So that was kind of what was running through my head. I can remember you and I were texting back and forth. Oh, so-and-so got picked. Oh, you dominated her for three years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I remember that. So NWSL draft ends. You get this opportunity with the Royals, aren't able to make it. Where's your mindset right now in that specific moment? Am I going to be able to play soccer? That's, I mean, that's the the bottom question, like flat bottom question. Am I going to be able to play soccer again? And I tried my my best to get back, but you know, is my dream over? What you know, what what's next for me? I don't really, I don't really know. So that those are a lot of the things that I was thinking. What are some of the things that you did to try to get back on the field or maybe test yourself? Yeah, you had to go through the Buffalo test. So I tried to do that a lot of different times. And sometimes I'd make it pretty far. And then other times have kind of lapse into something that was not as great. So it was a lot of, you know, trial and error trying to get back. And then when I did get back, started working out, started typically in spring, you don't, you don't train with the team anymore if you're leaving, but coaching staff was awesome and kind of let me start training again with them so that I was prepared when I went to a professional team because that was still kind of on the table. I didn't know how bad the concussion was and I just didn't feel myself yet. Just it really did not feel myself. I still had some like types of system symptoms and yeah, certain certain things weren't right yet. So I, the year ended and that kind of butted right up to COVID. Okay. So we, we get into COVID, a lot of things are shut down and where are you uh, Soccer-wise, you still have this this passion, you know, that started at four years old. You still have this passion to play. Where where are you at? Totally, yeah. No, I I mean, I think ever, the world was on a pause, so I felt like, oh, this is my chance to heal, get better, and I can I can still play. And so was still training at the beginning of of COVID and on my own, obviously, and kind of through that first solid middle period of COVID, I was like, I, I don't know. I started really questioning what what's next. And I ultimately said, you know, this concussion, like by the time I finally really felt myself, it was probably a year or so later. 
and you know, felt like I didn't have any symptoms. Everything was good. And that was a long time for a, a brain injury for, for a year. And so at that point, I think I still in the back of my mind, I hoped that I could. But knowing that my life is more, more important, right? It's more important than me playing soccer. So you're you're in this moment where your you know your dream of playing professional soccer isn't something that you stopped. It was something that was stopped for you. What's your mindset? You're you're sitting there with hey that dream and that vision that I had. So wh- what are, what are you doing now? Yeah. So I from there my mindset was what are the what are the things that I can. What are, what are the things that I'm good at? And then what are what are things that I'm interested in? I know I'm interested in soccer. And one of the biggest things that I had realized being a leader in so many different positions earlier on in my life, and then, you know, I think the, the biggest piece of it was, you know, when I became that captain at Cal and wasn't sure what to do and had that experience and then going to Portland recognized, you know, a, a pattern that hey, the captain keeps coming up and asking me all these different questions about how to be a, a great leader and and what to do with the team. And I said, there must be a, a challenge here. If I'm, if I face this, like, you know, I saw one of my other fellow captain people at Portland face this, it must be a challenge. And so I did research with other division one captains and a lot of interviews <laughs> with them trying to figure out what these leaders are facing. And I was shocked said so 96% of people have a fear about stepping into a leadership role. And, you know, these are elite level captains at universities and all over the United States. Like this is it's a challenge. And I, I remembered when I, going back to my story, I was so honored, but at the same time, I didn't know what to do. And I, yeah. So beyond that, I was like, Hey, this is a need. And I, I started a company called Captain's University. And it's a company that aims to empower women leaders. I think that's core to the the purpose of the company and what I'm really passionate about. I'm going to impact more people living out the purpose of Captain's University than I, than I would playing soccer. You started to identify a pattern that's not there and started doing some more investigation. What did you learn about on the coaching side? Because you did some research on the coaching side too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. One of the big things I found was that, you know, 92% of coaches also stress the significance of having a captain. And that is so key to the team. And, you know, follow up questions why. A lot of them stated if they don't have the right leader, the team fractures. The team's more likely to have issues off the field. There's no strong leader on the field. So it, 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 they, it's highly, highly needed from the, the coaching side because when you choose the wrong leader for your team what's the result not great most of the time right and it also becomes a pain for the coach so how do you take and put that in action what 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 did you do yeah so you know i thought it'd be a really great idea i always try to say how am i being my most authentic self and by how do i do that i do that by leading by example oh it'd be great if you know all the people that went through Captain's University program could take a leadership assessment that could go through their top leadership strengths, their leadership style, and really give them an understanding and evidence of who they are as a leader as they go through this. So my next mission was, as I'm talking to more people, 
what leadership style do you think you are? And trying to go through and really make an assessment that has something meaningful and has evidence that's meaningful uh, to who they are as a leader. Yeah. When you talk about those three areas, Anya, is it is it just that, hey, I'm just lead by example, or are you are you a mix of the th- two or three or what is it? Yeah. So we say that leadership is fluid. There's going to be moments where you need to step into a lead by example role, depending on the challenge, lead by voice role, lead by connection role. What's also great is that your teammates or other leaders help fill the, the maybe the, the gaps or the weaknesses of others. So one of the players that just played in the the World Cup for Norway, took it recently, got lead by connection, had all of her strengths come out of it. And the biggest feed, one of the things that she said was, how do I, and she's playing at Brighton in, in England. So really great team, right? High level. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, she's saying, and we'll, we'll get into this a little bit, but it, it's different for how the response is for older players that are playing professionally or in college versus high schoolers. So for at, at this this professional level where you really know yourself, you know your strengths, it's a nice reminder to see those. And what what she had said was, how do I implement this as a checklist every single day? How do I implement that if these are the things that I'm really good at in a leadership role, how am I implementing each one of these. And so she utilized it as a checklist during practice. Hey, I'm going to to use it this way. Another way that we've seen it being used with players, players that are playing collegiately, is they're utilizing it as something where they see their results and they're like, wow, you know, I didn't think I was a leader. A girl at Vanderbilt that was playing, she was like, I didn't, I didn't think that I was a leader. And I was up for a captain role. And, you know, I kind of said the other people are should take the role. And she saw her leadership results and she said, I identify with these leadership strengths and this leadership style. These are leadership strengths. I must be a leader. So giving them that baseline evidence is so key as they're going through this. And then starting at an even younger age, they start questioning, you know, are these actually my strengths? So, you know, at the high school level, are are these my strengths? Like, should are should I pour into these? And what's really great is at, at I was at Cal Poly a couple of weeks ago, and one of the students had said that she didn't feel that she was a certain strength. And we got to bring in other people into the conversation that knew her really well. Yeah, what, what, yeah how'd that go? And the person literally just said, I hope that you know that you are this strength. Like, I'm really surprised that you said that. You seem like the most confident person. I always would come to you, especially because I know you are this. So those realizations, those light bulbs, the confidence that you're helping to give others through these conversations and through some of the the feedback we've gotten. One more that I'll just touch on really quick. We had a, a player from the OL Reign uh, take it. That's a team in the NWSL. And she's, you know, considering moving on to a a new opportunity or just getting a job while she's playing soccer. And she said, I'm going to use my strengths in my interview. Oh, wow. I'm going to use it in my interview. I'm sure I could come up with maybe some of these strengths on my own, but like these words I resonate with so strongly. And there's such a, a great mix in here that describe me perfectly 
that I'm going to use these strengths and how they were worded here on on with, with my interviewer. Great. I know you went to the Women's World Cup, able to attend it. Yeah, wearing my Women's World Cup shirt today. It, it was it was an awesome event. I, yeah. It was great. One of the players is on the Irish national team. Yeah. And also came and played at surf. Yeah. What was her reaction when she first got her results? Yeah. So for her, she was very, very adamant that she was lead by voice. Very adamant. She's the type of person that's going to stick into LA and TS. She doesn't care, you know, what she's saying to you because she knows for the most part it's probably right. And so she she thought she was so lead by voice. And we started having conversations around, you know, why she thought that because she had come out as lead by connection on her on her assessment. And I said, okay, well, why don't you why don't you think about your strengths and continue to think about your leadership style over like the next week of practices? And then let's talk at the end of the week and tell me like what you think. And she called me a couple of weeks later and said, I've had a chance to think about this more and I resonate with lead by connection so much. Yeah, I love the lead by connection because we hear we hear the 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 lead by voice. Hey, you need to do this. Hey, you need to do this. And that can only be effective if you have a connection with a person. A lot of times we don't see that. Hey, let's go out and grab a coffee with each other. Let's let's develop a relationship and and pour into each other. And then how do we actually do that? That voice then becomes more powerful. And and I I think you know lead by example and lead lead by voice. I think a lot of people know about. I think you've uncovered a new leadership style as it relates to lead by connection. And I think I think what it's done for you and for people, I think they said, hey, I always thought lead by example or lead by connection, or excuse me, lead by example and lead by voice were the only two leadership styles. And I felt like I wasn't a leader, right? Yeah. So I think that the big thing that we're seeing with lead by connection right now is it's kind of like that it's its own category, but it's also the perfect in-between of lead by example and lead by voice too. Not that you want to, I think you need to have all three of them um, to be great. So it's not that lead by example and lead by voice are completely embodied and lead by connection is the best um, leadership style. But a lot of people relate, don't always think that they're straight lead by example, don't always think that they're straight lead by voice and lead by connection where they're able to really have those relationships with people really resonates. And so, you know, one girl at a uh, woman at Cal that took the assessment, she was so excited about she was so excited about her leadership style because it was lead by connection and she never resonated really with lead by voice or lead by example. And those are the ones that she'd always heard growing up is that I either have to be these two leadership styles and for her to find that that other leadership style it's it was it was great. Yeah, it sounds like it was unveiling for her to say, "Hey, I didn't feel I was a leader because these were the only two ones and and being able to to grab that confidence." So talk to us about the program. Yeah, so the program is is three modules right now. We have so many more things on the way, so it's super exciting. But three core modules is clarity, understanding yourself, getting that evidence through the leadership assessment. How do we read those results? How do we put those into actionable items and tools every single day? Clarity. Communication. 
when it's most crucial, how do we communicate with others based off our leadership styles, um, incorporating that in, how do we communicate when it's most crucial, when it matters most? And then finally, the confidence module, you're stepping into this role, it might be a little scary, you might not know what to do. What are some key things that can help you feel more confident in the role and to be a leader that helps to push decision making down to the other teammates that you have? So those are our three uh, core modules right now. When we think about all the leadership programs that are available, a lot of them have always been traditionally directed towards towards men. So what are you looking to accomplish? Because there is a, there's a lack of leadership programs uh, for women. I want more women to have a voice in the world. And so I think for, for me, catering to catering to, to that voice and then also being open to, to working with others too. So although we are completely focused on empowering women leaders, how do we empower the other, you know, groups or people that are, that are out there? So, you know, men's groups, co-ed groups to, to get along that same path. How do they be great leaders in, in their lives too? So all about in, empowering women leaders. And I think the big, the big gap that we're seeing here is even in the the leadership assessments results, only 11% of women are lead by voice when they come out on their le- their leadership assessment. And that's kind of shocking, but kind of go through the different societal pieces where women have recently entered the workforce, re- women have recently been able to vote. And how do we find more of a voice? So just really all about empowering women leaders. So you're working with different colleges. Are you what other what other entities are you are you working with? Yeah, Pac-12 is is a big one right now. Uh, a lot of you know Division three colleges also, and Division one colleges. Any sport, which has been re- very exciting, even though my um, expertise is in soccer. Leadership expands to all different sports. So swimming and diving, golf wrestling, tennis, any, literally all the sport, all the sports. So, you know, at a lot of schools where we're working with multi-sport groups, it's been really interesting to see how they interact with each other and are able to bring the different leadership tools that are working well with their teams and kind of cross-pollinate across their universities. And then, you know, at that higher SAC level between the different universities and the conference themselves. So for those people who are listening right now, what's one thing that you would share with them to help them surface the leader with inside of themselves? I think one thing that people can do to surface the leader in themselves is to have empathy for their journey. There's so many different paths that you can take, different forms of leadership and leadership styles that you can learn from, different people you can learn from, and everyone's path is going to be different. So really have empathy with yourself on your journey and help it. It's giving yourself that that space for that some of the, the things that in our research that the captain said is first big thing. They they have a the giant fear of letting the team down. Second big thing, how to handle different personalities. Third big thing, holding others accountable. So of all these giant challenges that you're trying to tackle, have empathy with yourself and with your leadership journey. 
Anya, thanks so much for being on the Surfacing Leaders podcast. We really appreciate all of your wisdom, your thoughts, and all of your time today. Where can people learn more about Captain's University? Yeah, so you can find us on uh, social medias, uh, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, LinkedIn. So all the the different platforms, captainsuniversity.com. And if you're interested in looking at how you can take your leadership to the next level, it's really more than an armband, you know, reach out. We're all we're always looking to, to help you. And we'll include all those links in the information that we send out the podcast on. So again, thank you so much for being here, Anya. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mark. It was a great conversation. Thanks for joining Mark today. And remember, new episodes of Surfacing Leaders will be available every other week where you can become inspired, gain confidence, and learn leadership right where you are. Until next time, make it a great day.